Full Power Living with Eileen Dillon. Do you know that baby boomers are 26% of the total American population and that on January 1st, 2011, the first of them turned 65? Since then, 10,000 people per day, every day until the end of the year 2030, are turning 65, retirement age. By 2014, U.S. life expectancy had increased to 79 years and those who reached age 65 could expect to live a minimum of another 19 years. Scientists hope to slow the process of aging to extend people's lives and increase the number of years they spend in good health and disability-free, a period of life that's called health span. My guest today, Gloria Dunn Violin, has many things to share with us about improving our health span as we discuss ideas from her latest book, Revivement, Having a Life After Making a Living. Welcome to Full Power Living, where we're helping the world to realize and work with the importance, power, and mastery of human emotions. Your questions and comments are welcome on our chat. Well, Gloria was a cable talk TV show host, and she's also a published article writer, and currently she has a monthly column for the North Bay Business Journal in Northern California. And she's in her third career as a professional speaker, workshop leader, and coach, in which she focuses on helping pre- and present retirees plan a meaningful and fulfilling second half of life. And she advises financial insurance and other business services on how to provide their clients with meaningful advice about retirement and aging. Her first book is From Making a Living to Having a Life. And her latest book is on the other side of that journey entitled Revivement, Having a Life After Making a Living. You can find out more about that at Revivement Book, R E V I V E M E N T Book.com. So, Gloria Dunn Violin, welcome to Full Power Living. Well, thank you so much. So, in early November, Gloria, I went to a workshop in Phoenix, Arizona, and it was focused on developing a service business in which you could be high earning. And before I went, I thought about, well, who might be there? And I thought that I'd probably see a lot of women in their mid mid 40s to mid-50s, and uh, those would be the students. And when I got there, the group was 50% women, 50% men. But even more surprising to me was that more than half of the people there were 65 years of age or older. Now, Wonderful. When I went, I was 74, and I thought I'd be one of the oldest people at the workshop. But in this group, it turned out I was middle-aged. <laughs> and that, that wouldn't have happened when my parents were 65. So talk a little bit about what's going on that creates a situation like that these days. Well, we're living a lot longer. You know, that um, no one realized that people were going to live healthier longer maybe another 30 or 40 years or more past what they thought they were going to live to. And so that's opening all kinds of new doors because as people retire, which I'm calling revivement, um, 
they are looking for what to do with the rest of their lives. And the truth is they can have the best life possible now. But they're, they're, they're exploring, you know, do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? And they're going to these workshops. They're reading books. They're um, watching programs. And they're trying to figure it out because now they realize uh, from the media they're going to be around a lot longer. They might as well have a good time. Great. And while we're here, you're talking about figuring it out. And uh, let me just note that the in the back of your book on revivement, you actually provide exercises for people to do, for your readers to do, to uh, help them to figure out what to do. Correct? Yes. I have 15 exercises and then two wrap-up exercises so that to help them think through, to help them look forward to the future by knowing who they are and what they really want to do and, and where they want to head in life. Uh, uh, one thing that happens is when you're working 40 to 60 hours a week, you're never thinking about what it's going to be like when you stop. And if you don't pre-think about it, you wake up the first day of retirement or the 50th day of retirement and you think, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with all this time? But the other way to look at it is you've got a gift now of all this time to take and make whatever you want it to be because you're fully in control, you're at choice, and there are so many options now, as you noted, uh, by attending that workshop. Yes. And let me just share with you, Gloria, that today is the last day of my 45-year career as a psychotherapist in wow. California. So I'm wow. actually entering this process as we speak, which is one of the reasons I was very interested in finding out what you've been discovering. Now, so I'm, I'm not actually fully retiring because as a psychotherapist, and a coach, I am still interested in continuing, and as we were talking right before the show, too, and in doing writing. Uh, so, um, so I'm not totally retiring, and that's a good part of what we're talking about, too. Um, traditionally, though, you point out that people lose four parts of themselves when they retire, which is part of what you're yes. trying to avoid. So what are those four parts that people lose? Well, first of all, if I may, you're not retiring, you're going to revive. You're yes, into revivement. You're exploring the next part of your life. Absolutely. So the, the, yes. The four parts are, the, the first is your ego persona. If you can say, oh, I'm a psychotherapist, or I am marketing director of ABC company, or if I am a, a great scientist, you know, you, you put your ego and persona in these things, and that's who you identify with. That's what we've always done. That's how we, what we've known. And then we get to retirement, and that part of us is not any longer in use. And we think, oh my gosh, who am I? You know, one of my exercises in the book does talk about who am I. Uh, the second piece is the socialization. If you are in a company, or even if you have clients, there's people around. You know, in a company, you walk in, there, people are having coffee, they're uh, in meetings, uh, you have potlucks. 
uh, and it even even uh, as a psychotherapist, Eileen, you're you're one on one with clients all the time, and then you go to some other kind of uh, things like this workshop. There's people, but you know when that that's all gone, uh, you're just home alone or home alone with your partner or spouse, saying, "Oh my gosh, now what?" The third thing is the schedule. If you're 40 to 60 hours a week in the workplace or whatever your schedule is, and then you have your weekends to look forward to, your holidays, your vacations to look forward to, well, it's kind of scheduled. Now, open-ended time. It's up to you to figure out what you're going to do with all these hours in the day. And the fourth one is purpose. I think that's so important that people find their purpose. And some have had it in their jobs. They've had goals to achieve and a reason to be there. But now when that's gone, what is their purpose? And it's, it's, to me, that is so relevant. And I hope you're going to ask me about purpose because I have a statistic I want to share. Okay, Gloria. I was going to mention because uh, not only did you know my husband, Bob, but you actually worked with him in the hospital setting yes. when you did uh, public relations. And yes. um, I, he died a year ago now, and when he retired as a neurosurgeon, this uh, the ego persona and the sense of purpose, you could just see it just yes. leaving him. And he was unable to find something. We, we, Several of us who were around him, we tried to help him because he had many talents to put something else in there. And he was unable to find something else. So this idea that you have of helping people to determine what they can do, I think, is really good. But I also want to mention that individual people need to decide that they're can be good life after whatever they've identified with uh, yes. and they need to reach for it and I want you also to comment because you do in in your writing mention that uh, that it's harder for men sometimes to uh, repurpose themselves it's much harder for men you know men in, in our generation men were supposed to go out and get a job work 30, 40 years, bring home the paycheck. When they got home, they were supposed to spank the kids, <laughs> you know, <laughs> bring home the paycheck, spank the kids, and go back to work the next day. And that was, they were socialized this way. You know, uh, the sad part is they were socialized this way because that's all we knew at that time. And even the TV shows showed, you know, father going off to work and coming home and the great family life and all that stuff. We, we, we watched these models and we thought that's, that's what it was. Well, once men lose their persona, their ego, wow, that's, that's, that's all they knew. I'll give you an example. There was uh, one a couple I interviewed for the book, and this is what she said about her husband, who was an executive and then retired, she said it was like he was going 90 miles an hour and then fell off a cliff, and he was absolutely lost. He was just yes. lost. Yes. And he didn't even – he hated the word retirement. He didn't even tell people for years he was retired, and then he had so much trouble adjusting 
uh, and they finally figured it out as a couple, and, and they're they're fine now. But it took them three years to figure the whole being a couple, retired, and all that out. So men, um, you know, men also, women, you know, we communicate a lot more. We, we uh, No matter if we're on a line in the ladies' room, <laughs> you know, we're always chatting and visiting, and we're men, you know, we're, we're – holding themselves what we call closer to the chest. You know, they, they didn't share the same way, so they don't know how. So my, my thing is, and, and I've seen this in audiences, my thing is if your man is having a trouble adjusting, well, for you know, hopefully my, my exercises in the book will help, but get some people from other organizations, men's organizations, to invite him out, to help him get out of the house. Otherwise, he's going to sit around and watch TV and and get him involved in, in volunteer work, get him involved in his community, and then going to these men's social organizations. There's just so many options. There's no reason. And, and, and help him by not making it okay for him to sit home. <laughs> yeah, that can, that can, can be a us. trick. <laughs> can oh, be. I know. I know. I know. I've heard some stories. Yes. Um, I'll bet you have. Well, as these, you know, once he, once my husband died, then I started thinking about what is going, what am I going to do? And right. um, I decided to sell the family home, and uh, in three weeks, I'm going to take delivery of a recreational vehicle, and I'm going to take off across the country. But Wonderful. The, I'm, but I, as I mentioned, I still plan to do some work. But as, as these, started, these changes started hitting me, I was in my 70s, and I, I was captivated by the notion of what would it take for me to stay vital if I lived another 30 years. And uh, the, the conclusion that was that I need to keep living my daily life fully, to keep taking chances, to do new things, and to say yes to new ideas and adventures, which is more of what I actually have been doing all my life. In other words, don't stop being who you are was the message that I got. What's your comment on that? That's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, you know, you and I are active people, and, and we probably will always be active. Some people um, don't see themselves that way, and they have every ability within them to become that. This is their time. This is their chance. Now they're not constrained by work hours. They're not constrained by families. Now it's their time. It's time to explore. It's time to go take an adventure. It's time to try something new. And if it doesn't work out, there's time to change it. There, I mean, again, there's so many options uh, for people to, to explore and also to find what's inside them that they never, never uh, um, used before. Um, you know, they say don't die with the music still inside you. And I have a couple of stories in the book where, you know, one gal, she didn't even realize what a beautiful artist she was all her life until she retired. And she needs something to do. And she took an art class and 
all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she was doing this beautiful art. But she never knew who she was. So, so part of what I want people to do is find yourself, explore yourself. There's more in there. You know, don't say this is what I always did in my life and that's it. No, no, no. There's more in there. And, and you know, if people had dreams as, as a child, you know, what did you always want to do when you were a kid, you know? Or, or what did you always want to do as a young adult but you had a family and you had a, a business or whatever? Now go find it. Go find what is you and, and, and come out and play with the rest of us. Well, you remind me, when I was 16, my older sister asked me what I thought I would do in my life, and I told her I wanted to be a writer. And she said, what are you going to write about? And I said, I'm going to write about life, but I guess I have to live some of it first. So I'm at that at that place. Now, there's something that I have been running into that I wanted to talk with you about. Uh, by and large, People have been very loving, very kind, very helpful. My son, for example, and his wife have offered me a room in their home while I'm waiting for my van, and they're taking really good care of me. And yet, my son makes jokes about me being the old lady. <laughs> and I can handle two or three of those. I know he's not yeah. being mean, right? Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. What I ran into, now as a therapist, what I've learned is that any message that you repeat to the subconscious mind long enough becomes truth to that mind. Yes, exactly. And so I sat him down the other day and I said, you know, I know you're not being mean, but I need you to stop making these jokes because I don't want my brain to keep hearing coming at me, old lady, old lady, old lady, because I don't think of myself that way and I don't want that to go into my subconscious mind. And he agreed, fortunately. What do you got to Good. say about this? Good. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid ageism, ageism exists uh, out there in the world. You know, in in, in uh, social situations, in the community, at the workplace, uh, there are these concepts about older people, and the truth is, it's it's who you are. Uh, just because this planet has gone around the sun so many times, doesn't make you old. You know, uh, and so we have to start teaching people to get rid of these misconceptions. I'll, I'll give you a piece of interesting information here to show you just how brilliant older people are. Um, one doctor... I'm liking this MRI. already. <laughs> one doctor took MRIs of a teenager who was working through a problem, and in working through the problem, they saw in the MRI activity on one side of the prefrontal cortex. That's the region we use for conscious reasoning in the brain, okay? In middle age, the other side of the brain begins to pitch in, and in older people, guess what? Both sides of the brain share the task equally. So the truth is, we get smarter as we get older. We have better judgment. We make better rational decisions. Uh, we have more inductive and spatial reasoning. Uh, you know, it's not that the younger person is at fault because they don't have this. It's just how we all developed, and someday they will too. They'll develop that way, 
and probably outdo us because by the time they're our age, the, the science and medical fields will have, you know, discovered amazing things. But um, to denigrate people, you're right. It 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 takes them down. Research has shown this. I I'm not a medical person and I am not a scientist. I do my research and uh, from the experts. And uh, one of the experts says that ageism denigrates people in a teenager as well as an older person, anybody that is meant to feel less by being told that, by being acted out with about that, starts feeling less. And um, and it really hurts them emotionally. And I would say two things. One, we've got to stop people doing this. And two, we have to get strong enough to not let not take in that information to the minute we hear it, we just wipe it out and replace it with good stuff. I can only totally agree with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's that's really good. And it is true. We, we tend to uh, think in terms of age uh, and apply that to people at all ages of their lives. Uh, I was going to tell you just briefly, we need to go to a break, but uh, when my daughter Liz was uh, 10, she came to me as I sat in the living room one day and said she wanted to tell me something, but she didn't want me to get angry with her about it. I encouraged her to tell me, and she said, well, sometimes I feel like I'm better than you are. <laughs> and, you know, I appreciate that you were saying that the, the young younger people coming up will probably do things better. My reaction to her at the time was, you better be better. I put a lot of effort into you. You better, oh, good, you, good answer. Good yeah, answer. <laughs> right. And she is. And she is. Okay, so we're up to our first break, Gloria. And when we okay. come back, I do want to talk with you about purpose. We're talking about how a person continues to live well by uh, as they live longer. I'm talking with revivement author Gloria Dunn-Violin, and we will be right back. You and everyone you know have been born to learn. All humans are on earth to attend school. People know this intuitively, but they don't really live by it. And now you can. I'm Eileen Dillon. Born to Learn is the title of my latest book, available at EmotionalPro.com. The result of 30 years of investigation, which gives you the big picture and the instruction book. Born to Learn gives you information you need to turn your problems into puzzles and then solve them. Life is kinder when we complete our homework assignments. Start today. Order Born to Learn at EmotionalPro.com and get a leg up on your life. All right. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're talking today about living a life after retirement, which my guest, Gloria Dunn-Violin, calls revivement. And you can uh, call in and talk with Gloria toll-free at 949-272-9450. And before we get back into our conversation with Gloria, I want to tell you about next week's show, which is about demystifying Ayurveda. 
Now, Ayurveda is an ancient Indian spiritual and healing wisdom, and traditionally it's passed down from generation to generation. So most of us, us have actually been left mystified about what Ayurveda is actually all about. So next week we've got a master of this art and science. She's written a book to help everyone understand just what Ayurveda is about. Her name is Achaira Shunya i'm going to get help with before next week she's the author of ayurveda lifestyle wisdom and she'll be here to talk to us about what ayurveda is really all about that's next thursday at 9 a.m pacific time noon eastern and we have other wonderful shows scheduled for you including our february 16th show with another of my friends a business consultant jill lublin who has written a new book on the power of kindness in the workplace. Uh, visit our homepage on emotionalpro.com. Click subscribe. We'll put you on the list and you can get the notifications. And remember, you can also listen to Full Power Living on our archives and subscribe to our broadcasts on iTunes. And on the Emotional Pro homepage, there's a button for you to push to subscribe to iTunes. So today, we're looking at what a person can do as they move out of the workplace and into retirement, something my guest, Gloria Dunn-Violine, calls revivement. So, Gloria, uh, before we get into our regular questions, I know you're a sharp businesswoman who recognized oh. that there was pain and a problem in this area you're addressing. So your book is designed to deal with that problem. What would, how would you characterize the primary problem that moved you to write this book? Well, because I lived it in a way. Ah. Uh, in yeah. In 2008, I lost my business with the downturn in the economy, and I was already past quote-unquote retirement age, and I had never thought about what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And, you know, uh, I loved my work. I really loved my work. But, you know, there was no money to pay me anymore, so it was gone. I was in my own business going into companies. I was in the field of organizational behavior and development and uh, worked with a lot of companies on their um, people issues and uh, loved it. Anyway, so I had to reinvent myself, and uh, I was a bit lost uh, it was almost like forced retirement because I never saw myself as ever retiring. And so um, I, I, knowing myself as an active person, as, as you are, uh, I started volunteering. I started, uh, I joined a Rotary Club. I volunteered in my community, in my neighborhood. And so I, I was using myself because I think it's so important for people to use who they are and their skill set and things that they have learned that they can share. So I was using all of myself in these other ways, and that was fine for a while. And, uh, well, I kept doing that and still do. And, uh, and then I thought, well, it's not enough. It's not enough. Well, I had been a Weight Watcher leader when I was in my late 20s. So somebody said they needed leaders, so I went and became a Weight Watcher leader for a couple years. And, you know, I could be helping people from the front of the room. So that was somewhat satisfying, but it still wasn't soul-grabbing. There was still something in me that wanted to come out. 
and uh, I didn't know what it was or how to find it. And then about six years after I lost my business, I was reading a newspaper, and there was an article about a retirement life coach, and I thought, to that, I've got all the experience of working with people in the workplace. I've gone through this process myself, and, you know, I, I, can, I could do this easily. And I got so excited, and I immediately got online and found a course where I could get certified as a coach. But being who I am, that wasn't enough. So I used to speak and do workshops and write and all that stuff, and I started putting together all those pieces around what is now my career, and this all evolved. Uh, but it was just picking up the paper that day. I guess the timing was right, and here I am with this book now. It's, it's just fabulous. And I will share something with your with your readers, with your, I'm sorry, your listeners, that in two days I'll be 78. And you know what? I'm not old. <laughs> I am not old. <laughs> You're not sounding old. You started a new. I, I remember being impressed that, that I had started a new business. I started this radio program when I turned 60. But uh, now okay. I'm starting. I mean, you're, there you are starting a new business uh, even past that. Um, so let me go back and, oh, no, before I do that, uh I want to ask you to share with our listeners what services you offer now and how they can get in contact with you. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, mostly, I want to speak to large groups because I, I'm in me as a teacher that wants to share the information about how to have a life. My, my business, my actual business is called Having a Life having a life after making a living, and which is part of the title of my book. And that is my business, havingalifenow.com is that website. And so mostly I, I'm a speaker, I'm a professional speaker, and I want to either do that on a, a stage at conferences or uh, other events, or I want to be asked, invited into companies where they do pre-retirement seminars about finance, but they never talk about life. I talk only about life. What's life going to be like and how to plan? And so I'd love to be brought into um, companies to talk with their employees or their clients about what is your life going to be like after you retire. Thank so you. That, and then I'm, I'm writing and so forth. <laughs> right. So let me just remind that's havingalifenow.com. I want to get back. We talked about the four um, things that uh, parts of themselves that people lose, the ego, persona, socialization, schedule, and purpose. And you said you have more to say about purpose. What else do you t want to tell us about purpose? Well, I, I want to give you a scientific and medical reason to have purpose, you know. Purpose is about a reason to get up in the morning, and I have some stories in the book about that. But here's, here's, here's the research. Purpose is paramount because people with high purpose are 2.4 times more likely to remain free of Alzheimer's disease. 
and purpose appears to have a potent ability to improve and extend lives. So it's medicine in the best way possible. If, if you have purpose, again, you have a reason to get up and do something, something you get excited. I mean, I can't wait to get up in the morning. I don't want to go to bed at night because I have to go to, you know, I want to get up in the morning and get back to my business. And, and it's so it's exciting. It's vital. It, it's something that moves me. And, and, but in addition to that, stay healthier. And so that's, that's what I want, the point I want to make about purpose. Not only does it give you that joy and that excitement and energy, but it keeps you 2.4 times more, can you believe this, likely to remain free of Alzheimer's disease. Wow, that's and, amazing. And it yeah. improves and extends lives. Wow. So I, yeah. I'm perceiving that as a medication with no negative side effects. Or, or medicine oh, without without the medication, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. that's really great. So, um, uh, Gloria, um, there are some things that we need to do that you do talk about in your book, and I've been paying attention to them also, uh, like keeping our memory sharp and focusing on the positive. What are some of the things that we need to do in order to be able to uh, thrive in our revivement? Well, in terms of, of your brain and your memories, I mean, you know, we, we fall into this old thing again. Oh, we're old and our memory's going and oh, we're old and I can't remember this and that. Forget that. We have the ability to improve our brains and make them smarter and get this, younger. And this is, again, I'm not the scientist here or the doctor. Uh, this is research from brain uh, brain organizations. In fact, uh, well, so many things to share with you. Uh, but, but one of the things I do daily is I go on BrainHQ, BrainHQ.com, and it's a website that uh, Dr. Michael Mezernich uh, has put together. He is a neuroscientist at the top of his game. And I do my brain exercises. You know, we've been talking about how you have to walk and, and do weights and all the physical exercises, but nobody does the brain exercises. So that's one of them. The other thing, your brain likes to, to have to figure things out. It doesn't like same old, same old. So, you know, if you want to make your brain younger and smarter, you, you give it challenges. You know, some people do Sudoku and, and crossword puzzles, but it wants even more than that. You know, reading things that are uh, unusual or, or finding adventures that are unusual. There's just so many ways to keep that brain of yours healthy. Um, and, and then don't overload it with, with uh, this multitasking that we've heard about for the last bunch of years. Your brain likes to do one thing at a time. Don't don't short it out by overkill. And I list some of these things in the book that will help your brain stay alive and help you revive if you take care of it. And that's just the brain part. <laughs> well, let me let me add something to that. I interviewed a woman named Anat Baniel who uh, works uh, with the body through working with the brain. 
And one of the things I learned from her, Bob and I went to a workshop that she did in San Rafael. um, And uh, one of the things I learned from her is that as we get older, we tend to follow the same brain patterns that we're comfortable with. And when you change your brain patterns, you actually allow your body to be more flexible. Ah, yes. And so that's really important. So back in 1990, I know you know this, Gloria, uh, Shad Helmstetter, um, a a psychologist, published a book called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. It's a a classic. And one of the things you talk about in your book is, is what he addressed there is how many of us engage in negative self-talk and we need to make changes there too. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the worst thing you can, the, your worst enemy and your best friend <laughs> are the same person. It depends what you do with it. If you allow negative self-talk, something like, I used to teach this. If you allow negative self-talk to constantly work your brain and you keep re-engaging it, guess what? Your brain believes it. Your brain is, is a fabulous, fabulous friend to you and will do anything you want it to do. So if you tell it you're bad, it guess what? It thinks you're bad. But on the other hand, if you tell it you're wonderful, you're great, you have energy, you can go out and do anything, whatever you tell it, it's going to believe. Now, what, what, what some of us have to do, and I did this years ago, is get rid of this negative thinking. And I always say you have to erase and replace it. You hear a negative thought like, oh, that was dumb of me. You know, that's an easy one. You immediately erase it and you replace it with, that was smart of me. You know, you, you find the alternate and, and start erasing all this negativity and replacing it with positivity, and you will even feel better. And I'm going to tell you a secret. When I was doing this for myself, years ago, I used to sneak in the bathroom and lock the door and look in the mirror and talk to myself, all positive messages, because I was so intent on changing those messages that weren't working for me. And guess what? It worked. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it's very important, very important. Yeah, and and uh, as so many psychologists point out, our brains tend to automatically go to the negative, so it's something we really have to uh, put our direct attention on the way you did, Gloria. Um, and, they, and if I may say, it really takes awareness. If somebody wants to really change all of these negative sayings and beliefs, you have to keep listening to yourself. You, you, you know, it's not a once in a while thing. At the beginning, you really have to listen to yourself and be willing to change them. And then well, it gets easier and easier. That, that leads right into my next point uh, that I wanted to make, which is um, I find a lot of people are resistant to this notion that I'm going to mention here. Uh, but um, that idea of awareness is all living all of living life everything we do is actually an inside job the only person right. we have to look after and listen to and change and be different with is ourselves correct 
I agree. Absolutely. I mean, and so what's good about that, Eileen, is we're in charge. I mean, yes. we're at choice. We can, we can actually make it different. And if I could give you a quick example, I, I bet most of your listeners think that heredity dictates who they are and what, what they become. Yeah. And yet research shows that only 25% of your genes are responsible for who you are. That 75% of it is up to you. And that is in my book, too. I mean, that is a mind blower. That, that actually we don't let heredity dictate. We can dictate how we want to change. Isn't that amazing? Yes, it is. Yeah. That's uh, the whole field of epigenetics, which is another yes. mind-expanding thing that people could investigate. Uh, uh, so um, I'm glad you brought that up. We're at our second break. We're talking today about having a life after we retire, which Gloria Dunn-Violin is calling Revivement. You're listening to Full Power Living, and we'll be back after this break. How would you parent your child if he or she were a foreign exchange student? As a host for an exchange student, you'd have five main jobs to do. Those are the same five jobs important in raising kids. People around the world have used this approach to raise kids who are self-directed, make great decisions, and are immune to peer pressure. Get your copy of the Exchange Student Model for Parenting written by me, Eileen Dillon, now available on Kindle. As a 41-year marriage and family therapist, a single, married, step adoptive and grandmother, I've got a thing or two to tell you that's going to lighten your load as a parent and help you create incredible kids who will become amazing adults. Go to Kindle.com and download the Exchange Student Model for Parenting today. My guest today is former cable TV show host, professional speaker, and author, Gloria Dunn-Violin. She has a new book out, Revivement, Having a Life After Making a Living. If you're lucky, you either need to know the ideas behind revivement, or you will as you get older. I say we're lucky if you live to be able to uh, put all of these things into practice, and more and more of us are. So, um, Gloria, you talk about nine pillars of a fulfilling revivement, the things we need to pay attention to to make sure we have in place, and I'd like to use the remainder of the show to talk about some of these pillars. Uh, May I just read them off, and then you can pick one or two of them to talk to us about? Sure. Sure. Okay. So we okay, already may talked. I just say one thing. May I just sure. say one thing? Um, if if anybody's interested in the book, it's not out till March first. <laughs> oh right, I forgot <laughs> about that. If you're looking for it, 
March 1st, please. <laughs> right. And then, uh, then, th but they can find it. Can they find it on Having a Life Now? Do you have a, an announcement about it and such there? Well, a... actually, I have a, 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 another website just for the book called revivementbook.com. In fact, okay. they might get a kick out of, of that one. Uh, revivementbook.com, where they can sign up to be told when the book is available. Oh, that's if they perfect. Want to. Yes, that's good. All right. Um, so let's get back to this list then, the right. nine pillars of a fulfilling revivement. Uh, right. They are purpose. We already talked about purpose. Purpose, relationships, ongoing learning, volunteerism, health and wellness, spirit, leisure, lifestyle, and finances. What would okay. you like to tell us about? Well, I think I'd like to start with relationships. They are so vital and so important, um, um, whether they're with family, you know, or at work or at play. I mean, everywhere we are in life, uh, there are other people. And what I think relationships, I think it's a playground, actually, it's a place that allows you to become you. It, 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 you know, if I learn how to communicate appropriately, if I learn how to handle conflict appropriately, if I um, uh, know how to be empathetic, there are all these skills to be in relationships with other people. And even to, to know who not to be in relationship with. And again, they're your family, they're friends, you're your beautician, there's your barber. And there's anybody that you interact with. Uh, and we have to make sure that we know how to be a healthy partner in that relationship. The relationship we need to really focus on the most is the one with ourselves. And that's back to the kind of messages you give yourself and how you take care of yourself and how you help yourself during this time of revivement. That, that in a healthy way, you have to look at yourself and, and be a choice, be in control, and make your life work. And part of that is back to personal growth. You know, some of us focused on that. And some of us didn't have time. There are people out there who have had, uh, you know, 60-hour week, work weeks, and they really haven't taken the time to look inside themselves and say, where do I need to grow so I can have my best life possible? What's missing? What, what do I need to explore? And I, I just think it is so important that this special time, maybe another 34 years, that your listeners take the time to become the best selves that they can be, because they can be, they are. They just haven't, some of them may have not focused on it, and I'm sure a lot of them have. So relationships, well, I think, is vital. I, I really appreciate you making that point. Uh, several years ago when I wrote, wrote some books about helping parents teach their children about uh, dealing with emotions, I uh, did research on love, and uh, the people. Uh, one of the people challenged 
his readers to choose love as the guiding principle of their life. And he made the point that it doesn't matter if you love yourself or you love somebody else. What matters is that you exercise love every, you, you make it your guiding principle. And so I worked really to do what you've been talking about, which is to love myself. And especially as I've gone through these changes uh, during the time my husband Bob was sick and died and I'm moving and so forth, I have been so astounded at the amount of love that has come to me from places what? I never would have expected. You know, neighbors, people I run into uh, when I'm shopping or something like that, people in airports. Um, and so I really want to emphasize in order to to contribute to the thriving that this is not a woo-woo concept of loving yourself. No. This, yeah, this is a a hard fact that when you're whatever you're full of, you will bring in from the outside, and that's what will be reflected to you. So, I think this point that you make, Gloria, is really, really important. Thank you, thank you, and and just to underscore it, you know, I I had to really learn to love myself. I didn't come from a history where I knew that. So, and, and which I think. Is all about teaching me so I can help others, but that's a whole other thing. But, <laughs> that's but our I next show. From, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's your next show. But I didn't come from that history, and a lot of people don't come from right. that history, and they feel stuck with what they think they are based on somebody else who may be well-meaning or just mean, you know. But the, uh -huh. but the truth is, they can make themselves be who they want to be. It's all up to them. Such a wonderful, wonderful point. Well, just to get back to my my trajectory here for a minute, like I mentioned, I've tra uh, purchased an RV. I'm going to travel the country starting in April. And, uh, Gloria, I just want to talk with you about this. A lot of people say, oh, you're so brave. Uh, the other interesting thing I've run into, however, is a lot of people go, oh, I've always wanted to do that. Yes. But, yes. But, yes. but they tell me that they would be afraid to do what I'm aiming to do, which is to take off by myself and drive around the country. And um, and I realize that it's kind of a stepping off the edge activity, although I did live uh, alone for 20 years and uh, I've been self-employed and I used to go backpacking in the wilderness for a week at a time, just me and my little dog and and so forth. So I've had some experience with this, but in a way it's like stepping off the edge of your uh, previously normal life. And how do you suggest people who are taking risks as they enter revivement deal with the fear of stepping off the edge? That's a good question. First of all, I applaud you, Eileen. I think that's just so fantastic. That is just so wonderful. Thank uh, you. That you are, you know, doing this because you're a model. Uh, people need to understand that uh, fear is, is not a friend. <laughs> fear is not a friend. Fear keeps you from doing what you can do. I mean, you know, there's this thing about risk-taking. You can take risks that are small and you can take risks that are big uh, and if you're not used to taking risks well you can take little ones and get used to 
it little by little. Uh, but but to live in fear really uh, goes against yourself and, and your life because people who live in fear don't have a full life. Um, so it, it, it's being willing to experiment. It's being willing to try things. It's being willing – the more you succeed at something different than what you're used to, the more you give yourself the courage to do it again, and the more courage you get to do it again. So it, it's baby steps for some people, but do it, you know. Uh, it, it's a big thing like for you because you've had those baby steps. For me, it's like I've had those baby steps. So ha- however you need to make it happen, but don't live in fear. Don't live in fear. That's, that's debilitating. So I want to emphasize one part. I love everything you just said, but I want to emphasize one part of what you said, and that is the idea of experimenting. Uh, Over the years as a psychotherapist, what I have found is that if I tell you that you have to do eye exercises every day for the rest of your life, you're likely not to do them unless you're a very compulsive person. But if I say... Why don't you do an experiment for a month and do these exercises every day and see if they make any difference for you? Then you're more likely to continue doing them because you'll see some improvement, right? Yes, right. And and so that idea that you're offering is go ahead and experiment if you don't like it, you know, unless you're really stepping off the edge the way I am. But even I can sell the van and go live in an apartment someplace. You know, it's not it's not irreversible. So give it a try. I think that's right. as an experiment. And, and don't feel bad if you don't like the experiment. Just, oh, I didn't like that experiment. Let me try another one. You know, I think that's really, I, really I, I important. Think that, I think that's. That's perfect what you just said. It's not irreversible. And if you don't like it, you're in charge. You can shift. <laughs> yeah. You know, you may be just trying something that you thought you might like, and maybe you don't. That's okay. So go try something else. And you'll right. find by trying things, you'll find what it is that you do like. But if you never right. try because of fear, you're stuck. Yeah. <laughs> you are. Yeah. Well. This is a big topic, Gloria, and I really appreciate you addressing the question about what to do with the 30 or 40 years of life after retirement. And uh, I, I really personally can attest that when you get to the juncture of making this major change from being productive to what we have called retirement, you're calling it revivement, there are plenty of questions and concerns, and I think you've hit almost all of them in your book, which let me remind you who are listening, it's called Revivement, Having a Life After Making a Living. And um, Gloria's website is havingalifenow.com. And what was the other one for the book where they can sign up, yes. Gloria? Yes, www.revivementbook. Revivementbook.com. And look for the book about March 1st. Very good. Very good. So thank you so much for exploring this question, for um, coming on the air with me today and exploring it with me. I've had a wonderful, wonderful exploration and conversation with you. So thank you very much. And thank you. This was fun. 
<laughs> All right. So remember next week we're taking a look at Ayurveda with Acharya Shunya, who is author of Ayurveda Lifestyle Wisdom. That's next Thursday, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon on the East Coast. If you can't be with us in person, you can listen to our archives on EmotionalPro.com and you can subscribe to Full Power Living on iTunes. But in the meantime, tune in again on Thursday, February the 9th at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for our show with Ms. Shunya. Full Power Living's producer is Paul Johnston of Fresh Talk Media. For now, I'm Eileen Dillon, your host, reminding you to pay attention not to what you want to overcome, but to what you want to become. You're listening to Full Power Living with Eileen Dillon.